I try to convey this to all kinds of folks that I meet that no longer live in Illinois. I said, you know, you came to Illinois. You maybe were born. You got educated. You met your spouses. You raised your families. You succeeded, right? This was all in Illinois. And now you're just going to say, hey, let that thing go down the tubes. To me, that's, that, that's um, just, just not an option. It's not an option to abandon Illinois. Welcome to Stay and Fight, a podcast about extraordinary Illinoisans who have made profound impacts in their communities and who, despite all the issues in this state, are dedicated to staying here and fighting for its future. I'm Matt Paprocki, president of the Illinois Policy Institute. And on today's episode, we bring you Vince Colbert. Vince is the founder of Residco, an asset manager of transportation capital equipment. With over $330 million in rail and aviation equipment that they lease to some of the most critical players in the industry, who serve us all, including FedEx, Delta, and BNSF. And what impresses me most about Vince is his commitment to Chicago and Illinois as a profound civic leader. He engages in the community like no one else. Let's get started. Uh, let me start with your beginning. So you grew up with your childhood in Buffalo, New York, uh, and these were very formative years for you as a kid. Can you tell me about that? Oh, so many data points on that one. I have had so many jobs, I've lost track of them. I could go on for hours about those jobs, but um, I did some things like one of my most productive uh, summers in college with respect to what I call manual labor, was one summer I had two jobs. I drove a truck during the day, a delivery truck. On my resume, I'd said I was in the distribution activity. And then I was also, in the nighttime, I had a job, one of those dirty jobs, cleaning luxury buses. So that's where you get to do all the fun stuff, like particularly the latrine part that's in the back of the bus that is not too pleasant. But I worked the grill at uh, McDonald's, doing the grill and cleaning the grill at 2 o'clock in the morning. I love that. I can still, I, I have grills around. There's no one who can clean a grill anymore as good as I can. I mean, I could get that job back in a heartbeat. They'd, they'd love to have me. It wasn't ever necessary to do that. Uh, I was a janitor in a retail store. I painted houses. I washed windows. And um, without any doubt, the most menial tasks, right? You can get a lot of joy out of them if you try to do them to the best of your ability. I, I was never without somewhere, someplace where I could find an opportunity to make a few bucks and salt them away, which is what I did. So what drove you to that? You know, understanding work as, as a young man and saying, I want to go find a job. What, what, what led you down that path? I, I think it was, um, there were no allowances, right? And living with, with my mother and father, who were the two most frugal individuals you'll ever want to meet, 
and who had as their number one objective that they would have sufficient funds to send us to college if that's what we wanted to do. They never said once go get a job. They, my mother basically said, how many books have you read? And my father was always very respectful of the possibility of going into the trades. And he always continuously reminded us that you could be a plumber, you could be a bricklayer, you could do these things. But if you were going to go to college, if you wanted to do that, then get to the best possible one and we're going to help you out. They literally, I, I, I grew up, we took one vacation as a family. Five days, we went to Washington, D.C. That was it. We drove there in our 1957 two-door Ford, uh, whatever it was. It was the most basic Ford ever invented in that age with three boys in the back and my mother and father. That was it. But in the, in the final analysis, they were able to help us all th- you know, get through college. I did graduate with some debt, but nothing in comparison to the debt that uh, encumbers a big part of our population. One of the horrible manifestations of the misguided leadership we've had in this country that I find so offensive and helping, keeping me motivated to find better leaders to get into positions where we can come up with far more sensible approaches to how we approach our, our, our work opportunities, such as they are. Vince went on to great business success in Chicago and has leveraged this success to help the city that helped get him there. From supporting the Big Shoulders Fund scholarship that empowers inner city children who are trapped in failed public schools to attend better private ones, to throwing himself into public policy and politics on the Republican side of the aisle. And his uniquely deep, deep level of civic engagement is what I respect most about Vince. I mean, the guy could probably be retired on the beach somewhere. Vince, I want to talk to you about uh, civic engagement. And I, th- I think about it as, as a rung system or maybe as a ladder. And, you know, the bottom level is, do you go and vote? Right. Do you show up at elections and do you vote? The next level is, are you giving money? Are you engaging financially inside of uh, political activities? Maybe the next level up might be running for office. Do you run for school board? Uh, and then there's a, a higher level of, do you run for office in a district that you cannot win in? Uh, or probably can't win it. And I think that's that's the highest level is saying we need to have choice and people have to have an alternative. And you've done that. You've ran for Congress in the city of Chicago, which is completely an uphill battle. But you've decided that you need to be engaged civically. So you fought that fight. Can you tell me about that? Well, yeah. Some of those steps, it's so interesting that you lay out because you say, well, voting and, you know, then maybe you contribute or that, which is all great. Uh, no, no question. There's so many just around voting. And one of the ways I started uh, engagement was to be an election judge, right? So, I mean, that's even before. In fact, they pay you 50 bucks uh, to be an election judge. You got to go for the training. But that's an eye opener. And oddly enough, when I uh, 
oh, was this the first time? Oh, the second time I think I ran. Uh, no, I think it was the first time I ran. I was an election judge, and it's primary day, and I wasn't paying all that much attention as I do now, but I'm, I'm looking at the ballot. There is no one on my side of the aisle running for Congress, which means if someone doesn't run, the party opposite gets that without lifting a finger. And that's what motivated me to get in. That was one of the things. But the other thing that we knew is that if we were going to elect a statewide office holder, right, this would be a statewide election. This would be any of them. This would be a senator, a governor, state treasurer, controller, attorney general, all those. To elect them, my side of the aisle would have to get 20% of the vote in Chicago. And you think, no big deal, right? Except that it is a big deal. When, when If you don't do anything, if you don't compete, you're only going to get 10% of the vote if you don't show up, right? So the whole idea was to, in the 5th Congressional District, that cycle, that was 2014, let's make sure we challenge every state rep seat, Springfield seats, and state senate. And we did that. And as a result, that 2014 cycle, we got 10,000, 9,000 incremental votes for the governor. And we elected a governor on my side of the aisle, 2014. So to me, that was absolutely proof positive. The idea that you've just got to get out there. And uh, I experienced it personally, but you can talk to uh, political leaders around the country who are far more engaged in the process than I've ever been. And one after another of people I could rattle off will tell you, full slating is essential, right? And, and, and the voter would like to have a choice, right? The voter would like to have a choice. So, you know, I engaged for that reason. And in this case, it was a D plus 15. I'm on the other side, so I'm, you know, at a, at a huge disadvantage. But the opportunity to run basically gives you the, the benefit of being able to talk to anyone during that campaign period from whether it's the primary to the general election or leading up to the primary. I like to say it's the opportunity to talk to anyone you meet about the issues of the day without them thinking that you're crazy. And that's a really nice place to be. They call it, it's kind of like a pulpit, if you will. And so you have that opportunity to knock on the door of your neighbor and all these uh, communities that we did go to, knocked on the doors, and have those conversations. And that's real citizenship. That's real engagement. That's real community organizing, if, if, if you like that term. It's all of that. And it's an experience that you can't buy but you do have to buy it in a way. Yeah, you, you end up uh, political engagement inevitably costing, costs the individual. I mean, it costs them their time, that's for sure. And uh, m many of us, you know, out of the pocket as well. 
So you're buying that opportunity in, in many, many cases. And time, talent, and treasure. That time, one, talent, that one and hits treasure. all three. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, in, in, in spades. And so great experience. I personally benefited from it, and, uh, and I did it again because we had a statewide in 14 and we had a statewide in 16. So let me get those numbers straight with you, Vince. So in your congressional district, it increased the marginal voting output by 9,000 votes? 9,000 for the governor, right, over the prior cycle. Yeah. So we go 2010 to 14. Now, in 2010, the uh, Republican candidate, Brady, lost by 10,000 votes. So we picked up 9,000 just there in the 5th Congressional District. That's what's fascinating about this is yes, it's it's a game of margins, right? The the margins are small. And so in a hypothetical situation, had you ran in that congressional district, had the full slate and had one more person running in a congressional district that didn't have anybody, we probably wouldn't be talking about a Governor Quinn. It would have been a Governor Brady from those two small moves. Yes, 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 yes. And even though I, as a congressional candidate, couldn't move the needle enough for me. But the fact of the matter is that if you stimulate voters who are aligned with your values, right, then that moves the needle for the ticket because the uh, the statewide, it, it's all about uh, statewide totals, not just in a particular area, right? So that if you can move the margin of those people in, an, in a district, then you materially contribute to the statewide margin. So it could it could be the difference between a win and a loss in the final analysis. So even though even though you lose the battle, yes. you're helping somebody else yes. win the war. Yes, exactly. That's exactly it. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So that's it and that's why I'm uh, so uh, so uh, appreciative of obviously the work that you guys are doing with the full slating project in Illinois this year. In 2022, Illinois policy worked to recruit dozens of candidates onto the ballot in historically uncontested races. And the result will be Illinois voters having the most choices on their ballot that we've had in 24 years. You guys have figured that out. So to me, this is a great uh, connection and partnership we've had. It has been. And it's a novel idea to give people a choice on who they get to vote for on election day. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> novel idea. Right. Yes. Yeah. So you also you also give politically. You make donations to uh, political candidates. Can you tell me a little bit about your political giving philosophy? Yeah. And another question I had was, do you think that there's too much money in politics? Uh, let's talk about the first one and then the second one. So uh, first of all, um, I to me. Uh, giving anywhere is philanthropy, right? And frankly, it's giving where you're not expecting anything in return, right? So in political giving, you try to identify leaders whose values are aligned with yours, and you are basically hoping that they'll do the right thing. And they often don't, but that's just the nature of the beast, So, uh, and the other thing about political giving is that it is not 
deductible for tax purposes. So I actually say that political giving is a higher calling, if you will, than giving where you get a tax deduction. So it's all about 501c4 versus c3 in the world of the tax accountants and the folks that are trying to raise money for these two major activities, 501c3 being charity, right? So, and I, I am very engaged in both. And if I looked at my giving over the last 10 years, it roughly works out to half and half. I don't do that by particular design, but it's just the way it's worked out. Some years I, I, I devote more to political giving. Other years it's charitable projects. So that's the way it goes. No, I, I, you know, the whole, uh, you say, is there too much money? Well, no, I don't, I don't, I, I too much money in power. There's too much money in sports, right? <laughs> you know, come on. Yeah. You know, we, we pay a hundred million dollars for a pitcher. Like it, it, it's hey, no big deal. You know, that's, that's what a pitcher costs. Right. So, I mean, a hundred million dollars for a Senate race from a, Major state? Yeah. Yeah. Can you talk to me about Illinois and why you've stayed in Illinois and why you continue to fight here and what you love about this state? Yeah. Well, number one, I have the business here. And and maybe that's number two. I have family here. I have have, uh, two of my three children who are starting and raising families here. That's a huge driver. Having the business here is a second driver. And third, there is a real part of me that says that, and I try to convey this to all kinds of folks that I meet that no longer live in Illinois. I said, you know, you came to Illinois. You maybe were born. You got educated. You met your spouses. You you raised your families. You succeeded, right? This was all in Illinois. And now... You're just going to say, hey, let that thing go down the tubes. To me, that's, that, that's um, just, just not an option. It's not an option to abandon Illinois. This was foundational. I appreciate the fact that when I came here, you know, over 40 years ago now, the opportunity that Illinois afforded me, and it still affords significant opportunity to young people who get to come here. And so that to me is about preserving and and growing that opportunity so that it continues for successive generations. Because it we still have the possibility here. We we, we still have, irrespective of our our frightfully deficient government entities at all levels. We still have great institutions here. We have educational institutions. We have uh, science institutions, uh, cultural institutions that are, that are world-class. And I've traveled all over the world. I've been in art museums and so many different locations. And, and you just, I mean, the Art Institute is, is, is truly world-class. Our symphony, our our opera, our our ballet. These 
this is culture. This is the culture that that we should be raising up, right? Everyone's using that word culture now to describe our misbehavior, right? Culture has always been about really just uh, finding excellence in creative endeavors, right? And celebrating it. That's what culture is. And if you do it well, as a, you know, in any location, it, 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 it literally can sustain cities through, and states and countries through the most difficult times. Now, I will tell you right now, I, I say that to people who have gone away and say, yeah, but all those institutions I, I, I have mentioned, they're all suffering too because their supporters, their board people are moving. So we got to keep raising the flag and sharing this connectivity that we need them to keep and that you continue to support and care about this amazing place that has meant so much to so many who are now living elsewhere. What I love about that is, is how do you give back, right? You've earned or you've built something here. And Illinois has been a part of that. And, and any person that we talk to here, Illinois has been a central part of how they built their business. Yeah. And I think even harder, it's the place that they raised a family in the community that they became a part of. And it's it's the businesses and the livelihoods of all the people, you know, Rizitko, all of the employees that you've had over the years who have benefited from this business you built here. And one thing that that breaks my heart is, you know, people move and they lose the biggest assets that they make in their life. And that is your family, your friends, your community, because those things don't transfer with you. I mean, your family to an extent does, but all those other investments, that's what makes life beautiful. You've built them here. And when people lose that, that's that that breaks my heart. It does. It is exactly uh, heartbreaking. Uh, in fact, that's an interesting one because Yesterday, the oldest uh, person in the world passed away, a Japanese woman. And um, one of her mottos ends with doing, always doing what's in your heart. And it's, it's exactly where you are foundationally anchored and maintain and, and have the opportunity to recognize that connectivity to, um, you know, a place that you've loved. And that's it. And for me, when I came here first time in 1974, it was love at first sight. I landed in Chicago. I take a, one of those continental buses downtown. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I, I'm going to get to come here. This is just outstanding. Yeah. And here we are. Wonderful. What else did I miss, Vince? Well, my one constant observation about Illinois is a state is a terrible thing to waste, right? The lost opportunity here. Look at for all those kids coming through Chicago public schools that are at 25% grade level for their respective uh, math and reading scores. That is waste. That ought to be driving every person in this city up a wall. And I hope it does. So that's a huge, huge motivator. Illinois has so many advantages continuing, right? For all the things I talked about, the cultural things, the business life, the financial community, the legal community that's here. You can find experts to do almost anything here. 
in a heartbeat within walking distance of where we are right now. The most complicated problems, you got to pay them a lot, but you can get them solved. You can get them solved. You can get all kinds of stuff done here. And of course, in a world that's moving digitally, theoretically, you can do that anywhere. But I still like to get in front of people. I'm, I'm uh, perhaps a little old-fashioned that way. But the central location, not only in the country, but in the world. And so for global businesses, this is still an optimal location. And we fail to recognize that and appreciate that. And so for all these reasons, I remain you know, committed to you know, Illinois and, and love Illinois. And I will continue to find there, there, there's, there, there's always a, a million opportunities to, um, to help out. And I'm working on the leadership side of the equation. And I help out on the educational side to preserve educational choice. So some of these, some of these opportunities that would otherwise die we're going to keep them alive. We're keeping them alive. And if we get to school choice, it'll be a whole new world for the children of, of Illinois, but particularly city of Chicago, where they need competition so they can get the same kind of opportunity that I had just with basic skills, but those basic skills that were so well inculcated that they built it for me personally, and I know you, a foundation that you could do great things with. I think right now is a very unique moment. I think the world, the country, and ultimately Illinois is waking up to change. And, and we've got the green shoots here. We've got the green shoots. It started with, in the last cycle, and the defeat of the tax hike amendment. An unbelievable thing. Illinois Policy Institute played a big role in that. Uh, I worked it as best I could at the retail level. Fortunately, we had also the support of Ken Griffin, who threw as much air power into the defeat as possible. And you know the margins more than anyone, but it proved that we're really at least fiscally, a center-right state. And that's all about IPI. And so that's what we have to build on. That's well said. Uh, Vince Colbert, uh, Chicago and Illinois uh, success story. And uh, Vince, thank you both on the entrepreneurial side and the jobs that you've created through your business, also through your philanthropy, both on the nonprofit side, but the political side. But I think more... Uh, thank you for your optimism, which I think we could all see here today, and for your leadership of this state going forward uh, and being engaged on the civic foundations of this of this state and this country. So thank you, Vince. Well, you're welcome, and it's you know my my honor and privilege to have this opportunity. And if you like this episode, share it with your friends and subscribe so that you don't miss out on the next one. Thank you for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Stay and Fight.